Hello, Team Builder, and thank you so much for joining us today on Ask Michelle and Chris. We're here to answer your questions about team building so we can learn and grow together. I'm your host, Michelle Cummings of Training Wheels, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Cavert of Fun Doing and On Team Building. Let's go find out what we can answer for you today. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Hi, Michelle. Uh, it, it's winter wonderland here in Denver. I'm sure where you are because you're pretty close to me. Yeah. There is over 12 inches of snow outside my window. I'm at a garden apartment, so I'm actually literally being buried in the <laughs> snow as we speak. Amazing, amazing. How about you? Yeah, we've got over two feet of snow here at my house. So uh, my boys are outside shoveling right now. They do not look like they're having fun. (laughs) But, uh, you know, and And then I'm, you know, in the house recording a podcast on Zoom. But it's very quiet in here right now because all of them are outside shoveling snow right now. And it's it's snow person snow, too. It's that heavy, thick. There's going to be a lot of branches down in Denver and power things going on. Uh, But, yeah, doing well. I think we've mentioned that I'm working full time mm-hmm. now, yeah. which has been exciting and interesting and uh, loving that back into getting to plan more programs and mm-hmm. work with groups more consist- consistently, especially when we've been at oh, stuck at home for over a year now. Yeah, uh, it's been fun, even virtually, you know, now I'm doing more virtually on purpose. Uh, and planning for uh, upcoming face-to-face stuff. So now that now that things are opening up a little bit more. Yeah, so, yeah. You and programming, how are things? Yeah. they've been going well. We, I've been yep. doing several more online webinars as well, and so I've got one coming up in a couple of weeks on processing and debriefing activities. And and it's just you know I'm still doing a lot of mostly virtual. I do have. I'm starting to get requests for in-person stuff that is happening like a little bit later in the year. I think, you know, our hybrid, you know, all schools are pretty much hybrid right now. Some are online, some are in-person. And I think the facilitation world is going to go that direction if you're not already there as well to where we'll be still be doing a lot of virtual, but then also starting to transition to more regular in-person yeah. programs as well. Yeah. And, and the science is helping us. Mm-hmm. You know, six feet away, wear masks. I did just, a, we did a great program the other day that I thought was, you know, following those protocols and procedures and sanitizing if we shared any equipment, but, you know, we hardly did. So that was cool. It was good. And I think people are confident enough now. A lot of people will say, you know, if you do those things, you're going to be okay. Which yeah. I think our topic today, if it's in this kind of circumstance would be, you know, ideal for distancing and and doing things in small groups. What's our, so what's our question? Our question is today, how do you approach programming and facilitation with small groups? Yeah. So we got that question from a, from a a follower, uh, Dawn. So thanks Dawn. And uh, you know, I get this asked a lot. What about you? Yeah, I do too. You know, and I, I definitely approach my small group facilitation differently than my larger group. I feel like a lot of experiential activities are geared towards eight or more people, right? That if I get a request for anything less than eight people, I'm like, ooh, in my mind, they're a little bit harder just because the energy is different with with less people than with a larger group. And sometimes that energy can, it can be more challenging, especially if you have 
some reluctant participants at the same time because you know mirror neurons are real and you know people feed off each other's energy and so if you have some that are you know show up with their arms crossed and they don't like this stuff and you know things like that then that can be a little bit harder to break through if you don't have numbers to kind of help pull them out of that what yeah, do you think about yeah. that um i i agree i think the energy is something that looking and reflecting on this I believe I tend to bring a little more energetic persona as mm -hmm. a facilitator to a smaller group. I do too. I think I help, you know, when we call about, we talk about, um, oh, I don't know the, if it's under neuro-linguistic programming, it might be, it's, it's leading a per person or a group by matching their energy and then changing yours to the energy that you want them to be in for whatever particular reason or whatever particular context you're in. So if they're low, you kind of start with them, but then changing yours will help draw, right? Mm. Or if they're too high, start with them, have, you know, and then start, you start bringing your energy down, hopefully drawing them. It's easier to do that with smaller groups in my yes. experience. So yes. that's the one big facilitation kind of thing that I do. How do you, you said, you know, when you approach like a needs assessment, how would we yeah. go about, here's a group calling up, they got six people. What's the needs assessment look like? Yeah. You know, really my needs assessment isn't a lot different than what I do with my larger groups. I ask a lot of the same questions because most of the work that I do is, is very outcome based. So I still want to ask all the same questions. Like, what do you want this? What, what is the outcome? What do you want to have happen after you go through this experience? And just because you only have six people doesn't mean that it's different than if you had 50 people. So, so really, I don't approach the needs assessment any different than I would if I had 300 people. So that part, I feel like, is still the same. How about you? Same thing. Uh, same questions. Uh, one of the things I do recall doing with a lot of these, you know, small groups, I, I haven't, uh, you know, I don't haven't had hundreds of small groups, but I had enough to know that I, I know I like to reach out if it's a small group and manageable, I would like to reach out ahead of time and, and either email or talk to every person in the group. Cause that's, mm. you could get that done. Cause usually a smaller group will know, will have a little more information about a team building program than a larger group. Sometimes mm -hmm. larger groups, you don't, not all of them get the memo, so to speak, or read the memo. So right. Smaller group, it, in, in my experience, they want to do this together. They've agreed as a small, hey, let's go do something. And they want to go do something. So then if I have that, if I take that time, I remember it's been really fruitful to get to know each one of them where they're coming into the team building program at. Then, mm -hmm. you know, that might be a way to maybe identify people that are reluctant. But, you know, I don't recall anything if if someone was reluctant then maybe that was the reason why they needed to get together because something was happening to the team right and, you know, I, I remember one program specifically where we you know i suggested to the lead this is this is now coming to light right now as we're sitting here that hey i'm sensing there is a person that's struggling with the team do you want to work out that issue and and the person said no um, we really want to just bond. We want to see if we can reconnect. I'm like, well, okay. Mm -hmm. you know what happened 
is we spent most of the time working out the issue that came up and it was this person having conflict with another person who didn't know there was a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the passive aggressive sort of thing. Right. And at the end of our time, th- it was now in the open and, you know, they were going and they then had to work this out if they wanted to stay as a team, they had to figure out how to change behaviors. So I, the team building program, I remember wasn't really fun, but I, <laughs> I'm hoping that that result of getting out in the open uh, then helped them uh, never found out, which is always a kind of a sad part, but well, anyway, that's... again, digressing, right? Yeah. But yeah, it, it's going to be, I think you get a little time if, with smaller groups, you can get a little more information from each person. It'll be fun. So for me, it depends on, again, the outcome. If I'm doing behavioral assessments or anything like that with a group, then I would reach out to each person individually. But if it's just a, we're going to get together for maybe a six hour program and, he, you know, we want some team bonding as well as team building, then I would probably, you know, not necessarily do that. However, what I think has happened now, the gift of this last year and all of us going virtual is now I think going virtual can actually help us do better work in person because now it's the norm to get together and do something on Zoom or whatever platform you're using. Now we can actually do some of that team bonding stuff here in the virtual space that will help speed up what we're going to do when we do get in person. That's a great point. They're going to have meetings. Just mm-hmm. zooming in for 15 minutes and yep. get the agenda. Let's know why they're coming to the program. And, and you saved yourself 20 minutes at the beginning of, of their team building session. Very cool. Right. Yeah, yeah. So pre, pre-assessments is the same with any size. Uh, even with Zoom, you can do you know larger group team quick meetings. Cool. How about then activity selection? That's mm. Point two. We need yeah. to how do we select activities for small groups? Yeah, you know, so I have, you know, kind of a list of 30 to 40 of my favorite partners slash small group exercises that I do. And so really, and they, they're they they're kind of categorized the same way that my large group ones are. I've got my icebreakers, I've got my problem solving and communication based activities, and then some good debriefing activities. So although most I would say a lot of the debriefing activities are the same that you can do with large group or small group. But then, you know, when it comes to sequencing out that program, I still want there to be a natural build, right? You know, you start with your icebreakers and then go to your little bit easier problem solving just to kind of ease them in. And then you can kind of build on those skills as your program goes on. So I put together a small kit, oh gosh, several years ago called What to Do with a Few Kit. And it was all of my favorite partner activities, good for two to four people. So smaller teams, um, and it's all the gear that you would need to do all the activities in the activity booklet that comes with it. And Chris, you have a resource for that as well. Is that correct? Yeah. When I, when we got the question, um, I thought it would be fun to go back through my fun doing blog posts and find activities already written up that could be done with small groups. So I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to Michelle's kit and a link in the show notes to the fun doing blog post that has six activities you can read about. Some have videos that you could successfully do with small groups. And we're going to add to that. And then our next episode, we figured that we'll share some specific activities to use with small groups and what they're good for, what outcomes we can reach. So we're going to save that for some more details for the next active, um, 
we're going to save those for the next episode. So activity selection, when say a little more about when you're thinking about activity with small groups, what comes to mind? So the activity selection then comes a little bit more around, I still look at the program outcomes. What is the client wanting to accomplish out of the whole program. And then I look at the different activities that are geared just for those small groups. Obviously, some of the larger group activities you can't do if you need spotters, if you need, uh, you know, large, a lot of equipment or, you know, different things like that. I still look at the activities then that match the behaviors that they want to surface, that then we can do that through the activity and then still have the debrief work um, so that they can still transfer that learning back to the real world. Right. Yeah, I'm the same. I, you know, when when we were talking before the show, I couldn't really think of a, an element, a low course element, for example, that could be done with, with up to six. Can you, you know, all aboard? You know, you're going to get six on. You know, things like that. Wired elements where you have to have spotters. Uh, the the swing tour probably's landing is not going to take very long with you know, six people still could be done. That could be fun to do, maybe bringing things across um, the rope. So elements might not be part of your activity selection process, but the concepts, you know, those concepts we work on trust, communication, leadership, breaking them into behaviors. What activities do you know that will bring up those behaviors that can be done safely uh, with small groups? You know, you and I both talked about bull ring. You know, and, and we'll link either this episode or probably the next episode. We'll give you uh, some links to videos. Like a bull ring is great for small groups. You only yeah. need to do a lot of good things and come up with a lot of good outcomes with just a simple activity like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. It's it. You're still doing the same thing with large groups, but you won't have as many to choose from, so to speak, where you could split up a large group into smaller teams and all do the same thing, right? You can't necessarily do that with a small group. So you're going to eliminate some of those choices. Which I think kind of leads us into facilitation now of the small group programs. Now, we, we talked a little bit at the beginning that your energy is a little bit different with small groups than when you're, when you're facilitating than with a large group because there's less people and there's less energy. So that's one thing that's different. But also the space is a little bit different. You don't need this giant, you know, 1500 square foot indoor place, or if you're doing it outdoors, then that, you know, you don't need the large open field anymore. You can do it in a smaller backyard kind of sized space. When it comes to doing the activities themselves, you know, now the group, you can actually hear exactly what they're saying and doing with each activity. And that's one thing that I really like about facilitating small groups is that normally with a larger group, I'm kind of hovering around a couple different groups. So I'm hearing a little bit over here. I'm hearing a little bit over here. But with a small group, I can literally stand there or within the earshot and hear everything they're saying. And so now I'm capturing a little bit different information than what I do with a large group. And that will help me then in the debrief to, you know, when I hear that key thing, they're like, ooh, that connects well with this. Then I can you know, make sure that I hit that in the debrief as well. How about you? Yeah, I, I like that part because now I can, I can definitely fine tune um, the debriefing questions that we're focusing on. I also like the idea that uh, 
I think I, I play more with smaller groups. Uh, I become part of that group process. I, I can get a little more comfortable with them, building that rapport that, that you get when you can interact with each person a little more individually. Um, of course, it's much easier to learn names quicker because mm, yeah. there's less people. You can use their name more so that you really can be able to make those connections faster to be able to ask maybe tougher questions or more pointed questions. Or I remember when Bill said this, mm, you know, mm -hmm. because there's only six people, you can now make specific um, examples of when you were doing something. So now we can get clear what that transferability is gonna be. So mm -hmm. I think that's a huge advantage in, the, in that final point we were gonna talk about is processing, right. is being with them in their energy, drawing them to where maybe the more focused energy needs to be from time to time, but then you know, letting it ebb and flow uh, to be able to meet their specific needs at that time. Yeah. But then now we're a little more in touch with them when there's, when there's uh, smaller numbers of people. So then mm -hmm. getting into processing, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, it's pretty much the same. I don't, I'm, I'm with you. I don't see a lot of difference. It, the biggest benefit of smaller groups is in most cases, everyone's going to be able to share their voice if they want to. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's like, well, everybody's got it. You know, they, it'd be good if they shared, but in larger groups, you often don't have the time. What do you think? About right. That? Yeah. With, uh, with smaller groups, it, it almost is awkward if people don't, if you have one person that doesn't share, you're like, why are they not talking? You know, and again, we still want to allow for choice and whether or not people, you know, speak or not, but but I find in smaller groups, you actually do hear from everyone. Another thing I really like about the small group processing is that it's a little easier to do action planning and goal setting for what does it look like when you get back in the real world because you have fewer people to come to consensus on what the goals are gonna be and, and things like that. So that part I find can be much quicker and you can be more efficient with with those types of tasks because you have less people. Yeah. And, and I like your point about if you're gonna do an assessment of some sort mm -hmm. that will help them learn and grow and understand about each other, you have a little more time to discuss it and how you're yeah. gonna use it and how will it be applicable to uh, use it in the workplace or in your, in your meetings. You can give them examples, you can practice. Um, I, you know, I resist assessments because if we don't have enough time to practice and give them a tool and a way to use it, to me, it's it's not helping them. So if we mm -hmm. if we have that time and we can help them manage that, that's cool. That's great. Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Well, you know, time flies so quickly when you know getting <laughs> on a roll, thinking about this. How do we help people think about this for themselves? Uh, in in the next episode, we'll share some specific activities and how we use them, mm -hmm. uh, and give you lots of links to things that you can use for yourself. But remember. In the show notes, Michelle will give a link to her activity. What to do with a few. And I will share the link to my latest fun doing blog that shares six activities on my blog. So if you're looking for anything for small groups right away, uh, we'll give you some quick resources for this episode. And in a couple weeks, we'll give you more. Thanks so much for listening. If you have additional answers or comments about this question, please send them our way. And if you have a question you'd like us to tackle, we would love to hear it. 
You can find the submission link and anything we discussed in today's episode in the show notes. Find the show notes and past episodes at onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast. That's onteambuilding.com forward slash ask podcast. You can find me and sign up for my newsletter at training-wheels.com. You can sign up for my Fun Doing Fridays activity email and find me at onteambuilding.com. We hope you join us next week for Ask Michelle and Chris about team building.